from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, good morning, security gang. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. Can you believe it's been 15 days into 2024? I can't. No, I can't. We've got a packed show for all y'all this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. James Azar, I'm your uh, practitioner as a CISO, and I'm also the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Really do appreciate all y'all for taking time. Um, if you haven't seen our Substack yet, please make sure to go check it out, jamesazar.substack.com. This week, I'm releasing what I like to consider and what some people who've actually proofread my work say is a bit of a controversial piece on Substack. It's exclusively for our subscribers. Um, it's about ransomware. And it's about what could we do, in essence, since the government's uh, ability to, to curve ransomware has uh, uh, significant limits. So got a whole story and series on that. So you can go check that out at our Substack, jamesazar.substack.com. Now join me for our morning tradition on this podcast where I take my double espresso and you join me for a coffee cup cheers with whatever it is you're drinking. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. Love a good espresso on a Monday morning. Go ahead and get started with this GitLab issue. GitLab, for those who don't know, a popular web-based DevOps life cycle tool has recently patched a severe vulnerability in their system. The Floss CVE 2023-7028 has a CVSS score of a perfect 10. That's the highest severity secure uh, severity level team. Um, so let's break down a little bit of what this vulnerability is all about. The vulnerability was introduced in GitLab's version 16.1.0. The version included a feature allowing password reset emails to be sent to a secondary email address. The idea was to help users who uh, needed to reset their passwords but couldn't get access to their primary email. Well, a bug in the email verification process meant these recent resend messages could be sent to any unverified email address. The flaw opened the door for attackers to potentially hijack the password reset process and in worst case scenarios, take over user accounts that affected all user accounts. They use username and password logins, even those with SSO options. Something a bit more concerning about this one was the 2FA wasn't completely safe. They were still vulnerable to password reset attacks. Now, GitLab has actually patched this specific vulnerability in their latest versions, 16.5.6, 16.6.4, and 16.7.2. They've even backported the fix to earlier versions, so that's the right thing to do there. It was likely pretty easy to do that as well. It's crucial to update your self-managed instance to the patch version immediately and enable to uh, MFA while you're at it. And if you're going to do MFA, please make sure it's the app version of the MFA, not a text version of the MFA. Anytime you see an MFA be completely unsafe like this was in the GitLab situation, it's simply because... You were able to send an MFA. You were able to pick the choice, make it an app, have someone use it. If you're a Microsoft shop, you can use the Microsoft Authenticator. Google offers a free Authenticator. Paying so many other organizations all have free Authenticators. Make sure to use those. We'll move on to our next story of the day, this ransomware attack on the ship, on the U.S. Naval shipyard. It's not on the Navy shipyard per se. This was at the... Uh, Fincentieri Marine Group, which is an Italian shipbuilding company, and this is their U.S. arm, Fincentieri Marine Group. So they suffered a essentially a ransomware attack back in April of last year, 
And now we're getting some real insights into this specific ransomware attack. And here's what we know. The attack first came came in the light back in Wisconsin uh, locally, uh, where Fenton Sherry operates. The company experienced significant production disruptions due to the cyber attack and caused it to shut down certain computer systems. Fast forward now, we know that the uh, ransomware attack and breach notification happened between April 6th to April 12th of 2023. There was unauthorized access to their system that led to encryption of certain files and acquisitions of personal data of nearly 16,769 different individuals. They're now offering two years of free credit monitoring services to the victim. The breach raises concerns, especially considering their role in building critical naval vessels like the Freedom Class Littoral Combat Ship and the Constellation Class Guided Missile Frigate. The attack even disrupted the servers, feeding manufacturing machines, halting vital production activities like welding and cutting for several days. So this has significant national security implications and 2,300 employees across the shipyard all didn't have work for that time period. Navy hasn't addressed this issue. The incident is an isolated. Another Navy shipyard builder, Austell, also faced a cyber attack in December, letting you know our defense contractors, if you're in that space, you're anywhere near that space, you are a target. And when you are a target, you better be ready to deal with it. Complacency leads to disaster. Juniper, for their end, the uh, recently acquired Juniper has recently patched a critical vulnerability in their firewall and switches, but this isn't just any specific patch or remote code execution that does have some significant consequences if left untreated. CVE 2024-2159 or 1, the vulnerability affects Junus OS on SRX series firewalls and EX series switches. What makes this concerning is its potential impact. An unauthenticated network-based attacker could exploit this to execute arbitrary code, even gain root privilege to the appliance. The issue stems from the use of an insecure function that allows an attacker to override arbitrary memory. It's a classic example of how just overlooking these little details sometimes can have significant consequences. But it's not just this specific vulnerability. They've released patches for over 100 different vulnerabilities as well. Juniper did uh, patch this specific vulnerability. And uh, now that they've been acquired by Hewlett Packard for $14 billion, we'll see if that helps them kind of catch up there. If you recall a little uh, few months ago, we did talk about this specific attack um, on the Danish energy sector in what at the time was attributed to Sandworm, which is a Russian group. But now four scouts are challenging the attribution. And again, attribution is constantly changing in the, in the name of cybersecurity. So we want to be mindful of that as well. We led here and I in the show talked about Sandworm in detail and I've, I've even given a geopolitical reason as to why Sandworm would target the, the Danish network, essentially uh, Denmark's network, um, uh, simply because of NATO, the proximity and everything else. Four Scouts investigation, though, reveals that there were two waves that weren't just unrelated, but the second wave's pattern suggested it wasn't even the work of a state-sponsored group like Sandworm. The second wave, part of a broader mass exploitation against unpatched Zixel firewalls, was indiscriminate, meaning hitting various targets across Europe, likely not a state-sponsored attack, but rather some sort of cybercrime broker that's trying to gain access, so they're just sending out a whole bunch of things, seeing where it lands and what they get access to in order to sell it on the dark web marketplaces. 
Four Scouts report titled Clearing the Fog of War highlights the second wave that started earlier and continued beyond the 10-day period of heightened activity in Denmark. This wave targeted firewalls haphazardly with only periodic changes in staging servers. The plot thickens with evidence that the attack may have begun as early as February using different known flaws in Zixel devices, and they persisted until October of last year. The focus wasn't limited to the Danish infrastructure, but rather on any exposed device some of which happen to be part of a critical picture. And I think this goes into the forensics idea here, right? So when you think of forensics, we're, 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 we're like laser focused on looking for something. And when someone's running a greater investigation, they tend to see the full picture and get clarity. And it's good that we have that clarity now um, and a job well done by the team over there. CISA is warning that attackers are now actively exploiting a SharePoint privilege escalation vulnerability that can be chained for another critical bug for remote code execution. CVE 2023-29357, the security flaw enables remote attackers to gain admin privileges on unpatched servers by circumventing authentication using a spoofed G JWT authentication token. So that's been patched. There's a technical analysis of it. You can see it all in the show notes. You want to make sure to get that addressed. Additionally, China's Vault Typhoon Group is targeting end-of-life Cisco routers. The state-sponsored hacking group in China appears to be targeting these routers and network devices in the U.S., U.K., and Australia as part of their larger campaign. This is coming from Security Scorecard's strike team. Claims to have discovered new infrastructure allegedly linked to the group labeled as Vault Typhoon. Security uh, Scorecard's research focused on the compromise of Cisco's RV320 and 325 devices a line of routers that the company discontinued in 2019. The sale of those devices stopped in January of 2020, and the last day of support is January 31st, 2025, meaning people are less inclined to change out these devices. The hackers involved in the campaign are, in, are exploiting two vulnerabilities, CVE 2019-1653 and 1652, both of which were added to CISA's Kev catalog that year approximately 30% of these devices observed have may have been compromised by Vault Typhoon in a 37-day period. So China on the move there, keeping their eyes on hardware. And finally, the GAO finds that the State Department's addressing cyberspace in digital policy and diplomacy is just a massive, massive failure. And why is that not a surprise? State official told us that since cyber issues may be relevant to almost any aspect of diplomacy, Communication within state to ensure awareness and visibility of these issues so expertise is fully utilized is also important. How do you expect? I mean, this was part of what came out of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. It was one of the recommendations to have a first ambassador at large. Uh, when Secretary Pompeo ran state, they did have one. So does the current Secretary of State. However, um, it's feckless in terms of its ability to even achieve any sort of cyber diplomacy thus far. Um, a Washington-based think tank, the Foundation of Defense of Democracy, has released a set of recommendations for increasing diplomatic efforts through cyber capacity buildings. Um, we'll see if that has any sort of impact. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back with a whole lot more tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern, live on your favorite podcast networks. Please make sure to subscribe, give us a follow, check out our YouTube channel and our Substack for all the latest and greatest. And later this week, we'll be dropping our new Substack article on ransomware. Coinciding with this specific article, uh, funny enough, is the reason we didn't release it is because we're, we're adding some stuff that from the findings of this specific report to the article.
So until then, have a great rest of your day, y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in this Monday morning. Have a great week. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback. So make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.